Welcome to Zaslow Show 2.0, presented from day one by Anna Jar and Levine Accident Attorneys. You're dealing with any kind of accident, any personal injury, slip and fall, motorcycle, car accident, bike. Anna Jar and Levine Accident Attorneys, 800 747 free. That's 800 747 3733. Title sponsors from day number one. No. Before day number one of Zaslow Show 2.0, my guys Mark Anajar, Glenn Levine, Ellie Anajar, they believe in me. If you're listening to the show right now and you're dealing with any kind of personal injury, I'm sending you to my friends, Anajar and Levine, accident attorneys. You don't have to deal with the insurance companies. You don't have to deal with the medical bills. You need to focus on getting right. That's where they come in. They handle all the stuff that you don't want to be bothered with. You need to make sure you're getting healthy and they're going to make sure you're getting the money that you deserve. Anna Jar and Levine, Accident Attorneys, 800-747-FREE. That's 800-747-3733. Proud title sponsors of Zaslow Show 2.0. Welcome aboard. This is Zaslow Show 2.0. Welcome, Zaslow Show 2.0. It is a Tuesday, the 30th of January. Good to have you aboard, part of the Believe Podcast Network, and presented as always by Anna Jar and Levine, Accident Attorneys, 800-747-3, involved in any kind of an accident. You call Anna Jar and Levine Accident Attorneys, where you're going to be treated like family, get you the compensation you deserve. Anna Jar and Levine Accident Attorneys, 800-747-3, 800-747-3733. And of course, we got all kinds of opportunity out there to make a little extra cash. That's right. And I'm talking about bet online. We got the big game coming up in a couple weeks. You got NHL's at all-star break right now. We got the NBA. I mean, my God, the Miami Heat last night. Seven straight in the loss column. Give me a break. But that doesn't mean that your opportunities to make a little bit of extra are not out there. And Bet Online is your number one source for all your big game odds, stats, trends, lines, with everything from point spreads to hundreds of player performance props. We all love the props. Head to Bet Online today. Stay updated on all the action. Bet Online. The game starts here. So, we're going to talk to our pal Israel Gutierrez. I I need someone to help me out with what's going on with your favorite little basketball team, the Miami Heat. Uh, Israel's going to join us coming up here in a few minutes. And we got a great addition. It's Tuesday. That means Twitter Jam. So, we'll get to Twitter Jam. That'll be fun, as it always is on Tuesdays. But Israel will join us. Help us figure out what the hell is going on with our favorite little basketball team, the Miami Heat. I wasn't even mad. While watching last night. I really wasn't. And, and I number one, I didn't expect them to win that game last night. But I wasn't even mad because it was so pathetic. No defense. Uh, the offense was okay. And they put a little makeup on a pig late in the game. You know, final score 118-105. Where it doesn't look like the Heat were down by 100 at one point in that game. But this was a pathetic effort. 
pretty much from start to finish for Miami. And you got Jimmy Butler after the game. And this is Jimmy's MO. You know, you like this about him, but it could also frustrate you a little bit. Like last night where he things could be going really great and he's got a level attitude. Things could be going really terrible and he's got a level attitude. And that's what you heard last night after the game. He's not worried. But I do think the fan, I think the Heat fan would like to hear or see some type of frustration. I think the Heat fan would like to be able to hear or see that the team is as angry about what's going on right now as you are. And and I'm with you. I, I would almost now you do get that from Eric Spolstra after the game, but I'm I'm with most Heat fans in that regard. I'd like to see some frustration. I think you saw a little bit of frustration from Tyler Hero after the game talking about how he's been asked to sacrifice. And that's why, you know, 12 of his 18 shots last night were threes that he's been asked to be a bit more of a catch-and-shoot guy. Uh, I don't think the Heat fan wants to hear about Tyler Hero talking about sacrificing when he still attempted 18 shots. And I love Tyler Hero. But Tyler Hero, he's going to be the whipping boy right now. And I do think there's an adjustment. You know this Heat team is all about sacrifice. I do think there's an adjustment that needs to be made with Tyler Hero because of Terry Rozier. You now have a point guard, a scoring point guard. And yes, you got that for a couple years, Tyler's rookie year and his second year with Goran Dragic. But not to this extent. Like, Goran wasn't quite that guy anymore. Terry Rozier, this is a guy who could score and is going to have the ball. And so, yeah, it's going to affect Tyler's play. I also think there's an adjustment for Bam. And what I mean by that is, you know, when players were out and hurt, especially Jimmy, especially Tyler Hero, Bam showed us he can be that guy. He was terrible last night, but I think part of it is there's an adjustment where Bam doesn't have the ball in his hands as much, and you're not getting recently that super aggressive Bam that we've seen most of the season. So the Heat are, go- like, they're in that malaise, which... Pretty much every team goes through. I mean, every team doesn't go through a seven-game losing streak. That's pathetic. But we're in that end of January, February malaise, which a lot of teams will go through. And at the same time, by adding a player like Terry Rozier, who's going to be a big-time positive eventually, and he was good last night, there is also an adjustment period that a team that is not playing well also has to adapt to. And that's where we are right now, where you have, it's almost like a perfect storm of of a losing streak for this team right now. So anyway, that's where we are. All right, let's, let's get to it. All guests on Zaslow Show 2.0 brought to us by the official beer of the program, Johnny Cuba. European roots with that Caribbean soul, a refreshing German lager in a can. You pick up a six-pack of Johnny Cuba right now. Your local Sedanos, Presidente, Winn-Dixie, Fresco y Mas. That's how you're going to enjoy an evening, just like we do here in the Zaslow Mansion. Make sure you always drink responsibly. And don't forget Johnny Cuba's mantra, stay tranquilo. Our pal is ESPN's Israel Gutierrez joining us here. Been a long time since we've spoken, Israel. You're doing all right? Everything good in the uh, Gutierrez Casa? Everything's great here in the mansion. Um, you know, when when the Heat aren't playing especially well, the mood in the mansion's a little bit altered because it's yeah. shocking. Not because of anything else, but just because it's shocking. Well, but yeah, I, I everything wanna, else is good. 
we'll talk about the championship games and and we'll we'll look a little at the Super Bowl. I don't know if we're quite there yet. Uh but but yeah, let's let's start off with the Heat here, man. They like I wasn't even mad about last night's loss. It because I, I guess I expected them to lose that game last night, considering mm-hmm. the current state of the team. What did you make though of Jimmy Butler post game where you know Jimmy did the thing where he's not worried, you know, we we know what kind of team we are. We just need to get back to having fun. Obviously, it's not fun losing seven games in a row. But that's like, we've come to expect that. He's in his fifth year here. He's very nonchalant. Uh, when 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 things are high, he's at one level. And when things are low, he's at another level. What do you make of Jimmy's comments last night? Um, I thought they were pretty measured. I thought, you know, in this organization, the patience is, is such a huge deal. And they, you know, they, they really are sort of in a position now where they're just, all right, they they maybe have had, or not maybe, I say maybe because it, they could have a worse stretch than this down this uh, throughout the rest of the season. But if this is their worst, worst stretch here, they're, you know, in seventh at the moment, I think, within three of like those, those play, those teams that are in sixth and fifth. And so they can recover from this. But I think the key part of what Jimmy said there was having fun. And that's been one of the things that I've just thought about this team for a long time, right? So the joy that you play with, you know, let's say the Warriors play with, right, that Steph brings to the game. Or if you remember, you know, with Dwayne Wade, there was always that sort of, wow, what's going to happen? That wonder, you know, maybe he'll have this tremendous play and, you know, we'll all have our, you know, our jaws dropped and, you know, standing ovation and all that stuff. And I think with this group, especially because Jimmy is the leader and just his personality. And then bam, uh, with his personality, there isn't that obvious, just like outburst of joy all the time. Right. The way they're a very serious group for the most part. And the way that they play doesn't really lend itself to, you know, these outbursts of joy. Exactly. And so I think when things aren't going well offensively, it just feels terrible. It just feels like, why are we this bad? shouldn't be this bad especially now it's you know arguably the most talented starting five offensively they've played with uh under jimmy so i, I think if and i can't say when necessarily but if the um the offense and the players find a rhythm within you know whatever it is they're trying to do um i think they'll eventually be pretty scary uh but i think you see the growing pains of like even tyler hero where he's not the best option for sort of probing and finding teammates and stuff because he'll turn the ball over and it's just, um, there's no real consistency there. And now he's, you know, being told to be more of a catch and shoot guy, which is not his favorite thing in the world. And so um, these little hiccups or these little issues that they have to work through with, with Terry Rozier now and everybody else healthy, hockey is back, et cetera. I think you got to give them at least about another week or so to figure this out before they start to panic. Well, yes. Yeah, so you say another week or so, that'll bring us right close to the trade deadline. What do you think is going on where Pat Riley sees this? It's a seven-game losing skid, which shit teams go on seven-game losing skids. Like, a, a really good team, all right, you're going to have moments you, you lose three in a row a couple times during the season. Seven games, you're usually a terrible team if at some point you have lost mm-hmm. seven games in a row during the season. Do you think Pat and I think this is the longest losing streak ever that Eric Spolstra has had because the last time they lost seven in a row was 08 and Spo's first year was 08-09. So yeah. I believe this is the f- longest losing streak he's ever had. 
what do you think's going on upstairs? Does Pat Riley look at this and say, look, you know, it's uh, th- th- this this is not where we need to be, and, and we go for a major shakeup? Well, I mean, you you have to, and again, this is where I talk about patience. They've they've been rewarded so many times, the organization, for being patient and trusting, you know, their decisions. And uh, I do think, though, that there might have been some things that have sort of run their course. Um <laughs> I don't think, for example, me personally wouldn't uh, move on from Duncan Robinson, but I do think that, you know, some of those ideas that he was untouchable is probably not true. Well, yeah, we know that's not true. Right. And so, like, if you look at the way the team was playing when they were shorthanded and guys were stepping up, like, those are... Those are real for those players, but they're they're sort of moments that come when you're in a rhythm and when you're regularly getting these looks or these opportunities. And I think when you start to dwindle them, um, you know, they're not going to feel as good. It's the same thing with with Bam. Bam's offense was numbers wise, like counting numbers, was pretty good. Like early on, it was the best you know he's played. But if you look at the efficiency, not really there. It was just more because he's getting more opportunities and, hey, look, I can do this. I can hit this shot consistently. But when you're getting them less regularly, you're going to see like last night where it's just like yeah. just doesn't look like he's ever played offense before in the NBA. And so, um, yeah, I think I think they will figure that out eventually. But I do think that there may be a small tweak. I think part of the whole, hey, Tyler, catch and shoot a little bit more. So maybe they don't necessarily need the threat of Duncan and can sort of met, get more of a. Uh, a different type of player if you trade him. But I also, also do, I look at this team and I think, okay, maybe another big, maybe. But if Kevin Love is healthy and he's playing the way he had earlier in the season, I don't even think you need that. So I think it's more of figuring out what you have now than thinking that one trade's going to change anything. If you're going to make a drastic trade, like let's say trade Tyler or something at this point, it's going to be such a big move that you just don't know how it's going to work until you see what players we're talking about. What do you make of the Rozier trade? How do you think that's going to play out? I mean, I liked it. I mean, he is essentially, you know, a little bit more athletic version of Tyler, um, you know, can handle physicality a little better, but similar types of games, you know. Um, and I think when you look at what you gave up for him, yeah, I Nothing. think that's a great move. Like uh, at the end of a shot clock with, Ty- with Kyle Lowry with the ball in his hands, it's a disaster. He's going to pump fake and hope to get a foul and then, you know, fade away and throw something high off the ceiling. Uh, with, Ty- with Terry Rogier, he might be the best option on the floor if things, if the offense breaks down to be able to get you some sort of emergency shot. So I think in just that respect alone, he's an upgrade. He can defend. Um, he's not going to, you know, do the well-timed charge taking the way uh, Kyle Lowry had, that's just an instinct uh, on defense. But uh, I think he is hes definitely an upgrade and worth that first round pick. Let me ask you a couple other NBA things here. Uh, did Doc Rivers pull a snake in the grass move with the Bucks? I don't know. Um, you mean in terms of just being a, uh, an advisor and then sort of like, ah, I mean, I, I think the advisor thing was more of a desperate move from the Bucks. And if Doc sort of saw this happening, then maybe. But I, I don't know if, like, I don't think he went into this first year of broadcast, first year of broadcasting again, and said, "All right, I'm, I'm going to be gone by the middle of the year." Like, there isn't a situation where coaches are just like, "Oh yeah, I can definitely take a team midway through the season and win a championship." And that's pretty much all Doc would want at this point is a chance for a championship. And this was 
the only ready-made championship team that was willing to give up its coach. And so um, I don't think it was dirty. I think if you're going to look around the league, if you're the Bucks, and say, hey, what if this doesn't work with Adrian Griffin? Doc was probably the backup plan all along, uh, whether or not he was an advisor. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think anything crazy happened. I do think that uh, it was a good move for them. Uh, one of the things I said at the beginning of the season, I was like, I know, I can guarantee you one thing for sure right now, the Milwaukee Bucks are not winning the championship, not the first year with Dame and not not under Adrian Griffin's first year. And now with Doc, I think that changes a little bit because he can sort of fast track the, the, the knowledge there that's needed to get to that championship level. And then maybe they can, you know, show uh, some sort of defensive presence in the playoffs. But I guess we'll have to see that first. They lost last night in Doc's debut. Uh, it was against Denver last night. I actually give Milwaukee a lot of credit for moving on from Adrian Griffin because they they identified there's a problem, and rather than wait till the problem becomes a disaster, meaning a first round exit, let's let's try and fix the problem before the really bad thing happens. So I I actually give them credit for having some foresight in in this situation, but then I get confused where it's like, all right, you got a team that's underachieving. Doc Rivers is the guy that you're going to get? I mean, I think it's a team that has done it before. Like the main parts of it, Middleton, uh, Giannis, Brooke Lopez, etc. Um, they've won. They know how to. They just need the right direction. And I do think that I don't know if you know when you have the right guy. I just know if when you have the wrong guy. And for all the, you know, the red flags that you heard um, or read about, I think that was a, a, a decent enough sign. But I think, you know, if, if it, you just have to read the players and you see um, how happy they were the first game that he wasn't there and they're dancing that was around. That's a bad look, though, man. It like, was. That was lame it as hell. Really because was. here's the thing, man. Adrian Griffin, maybe he is a shithead coach, all right? But Adrian Griffin, for years, worked to get an opportunity as head coach. He It only lasted 43 games. And the reality of it is because of the way it went down, he's probably never going to be a head coach again. And they're dancing. Like, they're dancing, man. That was a bad look. It, was, it wasn't It was great. Um, but it's, it's telling, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's not my job to worry about what you're going to do next job. Uh, I'm just thankful that our opportunity to win a championship isn't going to be ruined by you. And I think... I think, you know, like I said, it's telling. And I think it goes along. I don't think Adrian Griffin is is done getting a job. I think it was such a unique situation. Like, he wasn't brought in to coach Damian Lillard. He was brought in to sort of nurture that team. And hopefully they can find some sort of vibe and get to, you know, a, an NBA Finals again. And Giannis can, can go bonkers. But then Damian Lillard came and changed the whole dynamic. And then he at least has that excuse, right? And Terry Stotts, that whole situation, like, I mean, who is, I'm not, don't really mean this, but who is Terry Stotts? Like, okay, yes, he was a head coach and he was the head coach of Damian Lillard, but he was also an assistant coach right now. And so the fact that, you know, those two didn't get along isn't the end all for, for Adrian Griffin. And so I think, you know, if he is any good and he, you know, wants to keep fighting for it, he has a built-in excuse of why it didn't work for him. What do you make of the the new rule this year, which is the players have to play at least 65 games to be eligible for all the off-season awards? And that's now a topic of conversation right now because we're at the th we're getting close to the threshold for a bunch of guys who are deserving of awards. Guys like Joel Embiid, guys like 
Tyrese Halliburton. Like now we're, we're the clock is kind of ticking on those missed games. This has now become a story. It's been a story for years, players missing games, load management, and now, and not playing. So the NBA, I mean, it's pathetic, but the NBA has to institute rules to make players actually play very pathetic. And now a big storyline in the middle of this season is again, players not playing because we're reaching that 65 game threshold. So I don't hate it um, in large part because it forces us to, well, I liked it because I've always voted that way when I got vote, got votes regularly was, hey, um, the differentiating factor between, you know, these two close players is how many games they played. If one guy played five more games uh, and kept up that level, I think it's worth, you know, that being the tiebreaker. And so for the voters and frankly, for the fans as well, if these players who you've thought for, I don't know, 30 games, not that long, were the MVP, were all NBA. Well, it's forcing you to have to um, continue to watch and pay attention throughout the season from games one to 82, because now maybe you have to say, well, wait a second, is Giannis the MVP because of what he's doing uh, to maintain, you know, whatever was going on over there? Is Shea Gilgis-Alexander the MVP because he's playing a ton of games and, you know, is leading that team to the top of the Western Conference. Do you have to start looking at, I don't know, Anthony Edwards and and some of these other guys, Jalen Brunson for first team all NBA after the, you know, throughout the course of the season, instead of those guys that you think are absolute fixtures there. And as much as, you know, Embiid's season if he averages 36 a game and doesn't play enough games, it's still going to go down as an amazing season. And, you know, the highest scoring season since whatever Wilt, if he gets higher than, than, than uh, James Harden there. Um, But he's not going to have the award. And I think if it's a one game difference between the person who wins the award and the person who doesn't, uh, I think if the stats are are heavy in favor of the person who's played one less game, that's going to be troubling uh, when you look at it that way. But if it at least forces you to look at the entire landscape and weigh, hey, if Shea Gillis-Alexander carried that burden for a dozen more games than Joel Embiid and their teams have similar or maybe Shea has a slightly better record, I think it's okay to look for, to force yourself to look at the other guy based on whatever this arbitrary number. So speaking of MVPs, let's talk about the championship games from Sunday. Lamar Jackson, woof. I mean, he he had a great year. He's likely going to win his second MVP. And, and it's funny, though, because I remember when it got to late in the season, maybe it was like heading into the final week because whoever it was he faced in week, uh, maybe it was after the game against the 49ers where the mm-hmm. Ravens killed them. And it was a big MVP matchup, but Lamar Jackson versus Brock Purdy. It was when Purdy was still in the conversation. Like, yep. what more does Lamar Jackson have to prove? And then we see what happened here. Uh, they won one playoff game. You know, that's it's a massive disappointment of a season for the Ravens. Do, does this take much away from Lamar Jackson? And what do you make of all the criticism that he's obviously receiving and is going to continue to receive until next season? 
Oh, if I'm a Dolphins fan, I'm sort of laying low and saying, being thankful for the Cowboys, for the Eagles, for the Ravens, for these teams that have uh, suffered probably a more devastating collapse, because at least the Dolphins prepare you for their collapse by struggling in December. Um, but I think with Lamar, yeah, that everybody who was wondering, everybody who was just sitting there taking it as everybody else was saying, see how good Lamar is. You guys were wrong. He's the greatest. Look at these two MVPs before 26. Nobody's done that. Um, yeah, it's just going to get louder next playoffs because everybody who's defending Lamar is just going to, it's just going to, it's going to be their turn to sit and eat it until he wins in conference championship game and gets to the Super Bowl. And I think it's got to be maddening. Um, like this is that feeling that you had when Tom Brady was here. Uh, and playing and in his first round of, uh, you know, playoff excellence was, man, there's just something about that team. They're going to figure it out. And that's what the Chiefs are right now. And Patrick Mahomes, like I, I was thinking about this late in the season where everybody's like, oh, the Chiefs are in trouble. And every time I watched them play, there was multiple times where Patrick Mahomes sat back in that pocket and had plenty of time and just and I'm just like. I don't see that for Tua. Like, I don't see that for a lot of these other quarterbacks. Why is it that when it matters most, it feels like Patrick Mahomes has a ton of time back there? And when he doesn't have time, sometimes he finds, you know, he manipulates a pocket so well and just creates these plays. And it just feels like the rest of the team just lifts itself up to match his level. And I know the defense has been great all year long, but I mean, they, to go to Baltimore and to do that, the 10 points to that Ravens team that has just been overwhelming at times and was getting what Andrews back and, you know, had all their talent and and had Zay Flowers scaring everybody. And then it just changes. And I think, like, when we look back, if the Ravens end up winning something, it's probably going to maybe be a year where Mahomes is hurt or the Chiefs are just awful. Um, because if they're even close, like if the Chiefs are in the playoffs with that even one home game, I'm going to pick them to win it every single year. They're, they've gotten to that level. So it's hard for me to just say the Ravens are crap when they or you know, Lamar should be ashamed of himself when they lost to by one touchdown to this Chiefs team and this guy who's going to go down as and it's crazy saying this at the tail of Tom Brady's career. But Patrick Mahomes is going to be go down as the best guy we've seen play the position. Do the Super Bowl wins matter? Are you willing to say that Mahomes is going to win five more Super Bowls? Well, to me, if like if we're ranking one ahead of the other, longevity is huge. Like he's got to do this for a long period of time. But if you're just judging their ability and their performance in these small windows, uh, you know, one, two, three years at a time, like I don't, I don't think we've ever seen Tom Brady do any of this. Like just carry a team. Like yeah, he had teams with with no receivers that he sort of lifted to playoff success, but it didn't feel like he was doing it as sort of single-handedly as Patrick Mahomes. He's not out of the pocket, you know, finding guys on the run, da-da-da, at least he wasn't necessarily. I mean, it's, it's pointless to compare them right now, but I do think it's like Tom Brady's got to be thinking to himself, damn it, man, like, can I hang on to this, to this, uh, you know, title, this fake title for longer? Because this guy's coming for it right after I'm done. Does Belichick coach again? I think he's done. It's 15 games away, though. Like, Well, I, I, I think he so, wants to coach. I got a question I, for you. I don't think I anyone said this, wants him. I said this on ESPN Daily, and I don't know if people agree with me or not from down here, especially like older folks who remember more of the 70s and 80s um, Dolphins. But 
doesn't it feel like it should be Bill Belichick's record and not Don Shula's? Like, I I, I love Don me. Shula and everything that he did, but it was, I mean, not to say he was a compiler, but he didn't have the level or the stretch of years that Bill Belichick did. Look at all the look look at all the quarterbacks, the different kinds of teams that Shula had success with. Obviously, had success with Johnny Unitas, then went to Super Bowls with Bob Greasy as his quarterback, with mm-hmm. Earl Morrill as his quarterback, with David Woodley as his quarterback, and then obviously all the success with Marino. Got to Super Bowl with Marino. Belichick only had success with Brady. Like I I don't think that the record should yeah be yeah I mean so I I. I at the time when I said it, I was like, I don't know if this is prisoner of the moment thing, but it just feels that way. Like, I don't know if Don Shula was as revered. Like, I don't know if he was ever really thought of as the greatest coach at the time, like innovative or just, you know, whatever. And so I don't know. And Maybe by the way, how young. about Shula? By the way, how about Shula always being known as a defensive guy? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, completely adapting to personnel when he got Marino. And then you had these yeah. amazing offensive teams. I, and yeah, yes, I, mean, I, I think, I, I think what you're saying is right about – okay, good. I, I think what you're saying is right about – I don't know if there was ever this regard for Shula where you're watching him and it's like you're watching the greatest coach of all time. Right. He did end up with the all-time wins record. But now – and yes, of course, it was the opposite with Belichick. But Belichick only won one way. And it was with Brady. That's a fact. And Which is Shula why I'm kind of had a happy. a bunch of different guys. I would be very happy to see him in a different organization because that org- – which is why I thought the, the the Falcons were a realistic option because that organization is going to have to give itself to Bill Belichick. Like it's, hey, uh, whatever we call and it, the Patriot way, you? the Belichick way, has to – everybody has to be invested in it and has to be believing in it. And I just don't think you can recreate that. I, I don't. And so he would really just be coaching – for the the wins record and i think it would be transparent so if he doesn't get one you know it would be shocking when you think about it from the time that he retired like of course he's going to get another job but if you really think about what it it requires to be a bill belichick coached team organization yeah i just don't know if if the people are if the 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 organizations are going to buy in believing oh yeah every player that we that we bring in is going to buy into Belichick system. Mm, those those things were cracking well before yeah. Brady left there. Yeah. I I, I think it's over. Hmm. I don't I don't think he coaches again. Well as a I Miami person, I, I would be happy about that. That's one more thing for uh for Miami to hang on to is a Don Schuler record. What'd you make of Dan Campbell? Are you blaming Dan Campbell? Yeah. I mean so I, I was looking at somebody asked me if they thought Mike McDaniel would make the same decisions and i was like well if it's this year if it was this playoffs uh i think mike mcdaniel would have absolutely kicked the field goal in the first half given how many outside of the fail mary uh there haven't been very many good end of halves for for the dolphins and so pretty sure that ptsd would have kicked in and he would have kicked one before the half and then at the end of the game i think absolutely he would have tied the game um i think it's different if you're on you know the five yard line if you're knocking on the door of the goal line, but they weren't. And they should have just taken that field goal and just felt like a brand new game. And I think if you are, if you are that coach that is sort of relying on the emotion and relying on the rah, rah and, and everything else, you can tell your team in the fourth quarter, Hey, it's a brand new game. We're tied. We have this much time to, to just outplay these guys. Let's do it. And I think it would have, you know, put them in a, 
a good state of mind, frame of mind going into those last few minutes, as opposed to just sort of the ballsiness of calling it on fourth down and going for it. Like you've done that all season. Like I would feel better having the gate, the NFC championship tied than just having gotten the first down because you still had more work to do in that situation. So I don't know as a, as somebody who normally thinks in sort of the way the players would think, I think even probably 51% of that team at the very least was thinking, let's take the points here. I know what we've done all season long, but it's the NFC championship and we're about to tie the game as opposed to, Hey, it's all riding on this one fourth down. Do you think Detroit lions fans, do you think many Detroit lion fans are mad at Dan Campbell or blaming Dan Campbell? Because I I think they're probably like, they're obviously heartbroken, but they had the most amazing season of their lives. You know, like I've, I feel like they're heartbroken, but they're probably not mad at Dan Campbell. I think it was um, probably one of those situations where they look at Dan Campbell and they're just like, we appreciate everything you've done for this team, but just don't let the obvious thing be the reason why we don't go further. Don't let sort of the, the boneheadedness be the reason that we don't keep going or the macho and 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 like that's kind of what happened. It's like, oh, fourth down, short distance. This is what we do. We got to go for it. And it's just like, mm, right there, I would have loved to put, you know, that coaching hat on a little bit tighter and say, hey, really think about this. Are we doing this for ego? Are we doing this for personality of the team? Or are we doing this? He was to coaching win the, the way game? he he was staying true to himself when the situation called for the coach. To right. adapt to the situation. To me, that's a little bit of, of ego driven, but it's also, it's just, it's, it's just stubborn. It's just stubborn. It's like, okay, I know you've done this the same way the whole time, but how many times have you done it in the NFC championship game? You know, how many times have you had to make these tough calls that, you know, in the long run are for the betterment of the team and you don't have an ability to recover from because it's one thing to do this in the regular season game it's another thing to do this in the nfc championship game with everything on the line and so i think uh if anything it will force him to be a little bit more flexible going forward because you would assume now the guy's got a long coaching career ahead of him israel what are we watching these days are you into any series yeah uh, i'm actually running out of series to watch i just watched that griselda uh one on that does not interest me that you're into that oh it was pretty good i mean if you like all the you know sort of the the drug cartels and those types of movies it's mostly good because it was in miami and you know it's a lot of things that uh i know when i was a kid i don't remember really reading about but as i got older it was just like wow all these things happened you know just south of where i lived etc and so that part is pretty cool but i watched that i watched i watched a lot of stuff uh so redid uh season one of true detective um Oh, you know what? That's funny you say that because I want to watch the new season that has started. Just started it, yeah. And and I, I think I'm going to go back and watch season one because it's been like five years since I've seen it. You well, really only more. need to watch it for the pacing if you just want to get used to that again. But in terms of like any sort of connection, there are a couple of little random, you know. Oh, Easter no, I don't mean I want to watch it no... because of the connection. No, no, right. that's not what I mean. It just reminds me it's like. All right, it's been long enough. I, I I could probably go back and watch it and enjoy it again because I don't remember everything. Yeah, yeah. In that case, like that that that's what happened to me. Um, and then season two, I don't recommend going back and watching that one. No, I've seen I've seen. Yeah, I'm not gonna go back and watch yeah. season two or season three, even though I enjoyed each of them fine enough. But they're not season one. Uh, you know what I want to start watching? Hmm. 
which everyone says is great. Have you ever watched Fargo? I have not yet, and I have heard that it was great. That's John Hamm's in that now, right? He's in this season, and apparently every season is its own entity. You don't have to watch from the mm. beginning. Like I know Billy Bob Thornton was season one. John Hamm is in this season four. I I think I'm gonna watch Fargo. It, it, everyone says it's great. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to report back to me on that one because I be, I have heard the same things, but I'm gonna trust your judgment if you watch that. I got the good judgment, man. All right, excellent job, Israel. When are we gonna see you on television again? Go ahead, plug something. Uh, Friday around the horn. Okay, That's all I got. You know, you. you know, we're 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 colleagues now. Like you guys yeah. on around the horn. You, you guys are my colleagues as well. You know, if, if 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 you ever got an open spot there on around the horn, look how good I look in a box like this. I mean, <laughs> come on, all right. Yes, yes. Look and how good I look, everybody. In the meantime, if you got any fire takes you want to pass along to me, I will. Uh, I'll credit you with them. I'll say oh, ESPN okay. Radio's own Jonathan Zaslow has told That's me. That's right, our colleague. Yes, our colleague. Sorry. Excellent job, Israel. Thanks for hanging out with us, man. I appreciate it. No problem, Zaz. Guys, before we continue on here, let me tell you, if you're thinking about getting a new ride, luckily you're listening to your boy, because I send you to the only car dealership I personally endorse, official car dealership of Zaslow Show 2.0, North Fort Lauderdale Subaru. At North Fort Lauderdale Subaru, they're celebrating the new year with incredible offers on all new Subarus in stock, as well as every pre-owned vehicle on their lot. And when you go to North Fort Lauderdale Subaru, You're getting that North Fort Lauderdale Subaru promise. They provide all their customers with an exceptional experience at their brand new state-of-the-art facility on North Andrews Avenue. You know, it's that beautiful building. You can see it from I-95 at the Cypress Creek Road exit. And whether you're looking for a relaxed indoor car shopping experience or you just want to have your your current vehicle serviced, you're going to be treated like royalty at North Fort Lauderdale Subaru. Did you know they service all makes and models? Yeah, so that's right. Whatever you're driving right now, you could take to North Fort Lauderdale Subaru to get service, and you know you're getting your service. You can have your service with confidence. You're going to get it back in tip-top shape. That's what we're all looking for. And with an extensive new and pre-owned Subaru inventory, plus used cars, trucks, SUVs of every make and model, you're sure to find your next vehicle at North Fort Lauderdale Subaru. North Fort Lauderdale Subaru, nflsubaru.com. That's nflsubaru.com, the location you know with an experience you'll love. Let's get to this week's edition of Twitter Jam. All right, you know how we do Twitter Jam. Every week we, we get whatever the hot topic is at that time of the week, and we, uh, we, we, we survey, we peruse what's going on on Twitter. And today's topic, this week's topic... Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions. That's right. We'll start things off here. This tweet is from Mike Golick Jr. We like Mike Golick Jr. He's got the the Gojo podcast. And here he says, folks going to spend all day tomorrow destroying. You know, this was after the game. Folks going to spend all day tomorrow destroying Dan Campbell and act like none of these drops and fumbles happened. All right. So there uh, you look. I, I tend to agree. I didn't like the way Dan Campbell handled the game. You guys know that. I feel like, yes, he stayed true to himself, but sometimes you need to adjust to the situations of the moment, and he didn't do that. But, absol- I, I, like, I'm not sitting here blaming Dan Campbell for the loss. I think he could have done a better job. But if you get those catches from Reynolds, if Jameer Gibbs doesn't fumble, they probably win the game. 
And I think that's more important than what Dan Campbell did or didn't do. <laughs> His next tweet. This is from Speak on FS1. Well, you know we love that show. Speak tweets out, Did Dan Campbell cost the Lions the game? And they attach the clip here from our girl Hollywood Joy Taylor. But did Dan Campbell cost the Lions the game? He did not cost it. <laughs> I mean, look, that, that fumble by Gibbs was, that's yeah, tough to come, that is, that's that tough is, to come back from. It is. R- Reynolds drops. Yeah. You got uh, a, a, an interception thrown to Kendall Vildor and, and it goes off of his face. Mm. And then Ayuk catches it. You know, that don't really have anything to do with Dan Campbell. But you don't want the conversation after an NFC championship game to be, did the coach lose you the game? Right. That's what you don't want. So the fact that we're even asking this question means a big slice of this blame pie has to go to Dan Campbell. I, I feel bad for Jared Goff, honestly. I, th- I feel like Jared Goff played well enough to win that game. He did. And there was a lot that happened. You, you, you got to make better decisions. And I understand that you have coaching philosophies. I love, I love that for you. That's what got you here. But if you ask any successful person, what gets you somewhere might not be the thing that keeps you yeah. somewhere. So you don't need to die on principle. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I promise the guys I will go, we will go for it if we get down. Promises? I don't care what you promise me. If it's between this and going to the Super Bowl, break that promise, bro. Break, <laughs> lie to me, please. Tell me any lie you need to tell me. No, lie, I don't, to you. lie to me. I'm begging you. All right, there you go. That's Joy Taylor. Again, that was from Speak. Let's continue on with Twitter Jam. This next week, ah, Christopher Mad Dog Russo. At Mad Dog Unleashed. So you know that's our, he is our all-time favorite. Here's Dog. This tweet is from Chris Mad Dog Russo at Mad Dog Unleashed from his show yesterday. Dan Campbell robbed Lions fans and football fans of what could have been a great Super Bowl. And here they attach the clip from Dog's show. If you are a Lions fan, you tell me right now for the next month when they get this game played and everything else, the month of February, what are you going to be thinking about? Beat Baker Mayfield or the fact that the Niners did the rights? My God almighty. Pay attention, Campbell. Jesus. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. And I know we like you, Dan. You're a nice guy. You represent the city of Detroit. Blue collar. Tough. Oh, we get all the nonsense. But manage the game properly you have a chair i understand it's a long field goal 240 yarders but your kicker's good you have a very you got a chance to go back up by three scores and you go for it on fourth down and then all the dopes on twitter are backing you up the 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 data freaks who wouldn't know lombardi for paul brown never heard of Otto Graham. kenny stabler madden wouldn't know him if they fell on him they do football via math. That's not how you do football. I don't place all the blame on Dan Campbell. It certainly sounds like Dog is, but but Dog's right. Like the, the, the decisions ended up costing a the, the Lions fan an opportunity they may never ever get. I understand that point of it. Next tweet here, Emmanuel Acho. He hosts Speak on FS1. He tweets out, "When I did this math, I got even more livid at Dan Campbell's." Late-game decision-making. Pay attention to this clip. And here he attached what he said. Now, understand this, because this is where this math gets so very fascinating. Even when the Lions didn't score, their average time of possession was two and a half minutes. 
and they average seven plays. So even if the Lions don't score, Joy, they're eating up two and a half minutes and seven plays. So you don't even have to score. The last thing I'm going to say, and this is a math that's really going to blow your mind. The Niners were down 17 at half. If the Niners and the Lions trade touchdowns and field goals, every time the Niners get the ball, they get seven. Every time the Lions get the ball, soon they get three. It would have taken five possessions to make up that 17-point deficit. There's only five possessions and a half. So even if you just take your threes and let them take their sevens, they still would have run out of time. All right, the problem I have with what Acho is saying there, the problem I have with Acho's math, that's an average time of each drive that he's given there. That doesn't mean in those drives in the second half, in the fourth quarter, that they're all going to be what that average is. If the average is two and a half, that means, you know, one drive that was four minutes long meant another drive was one minute long to average it out. So you don't know the next couple of drives are going to be one minute. So I, I, I don't, I can't go with the math part of his his argument there. That to me is silly. This next tweet is from Unsportsmanlike Radio. They tweet out Unsportsmanlike every morning. ESPN Rails. My colleagues Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen, six ten a.m. every morning on ESPN Radio. Unsportsmanlike Radio tweets out. To me, that game was more about the Detroit Lions collapse than any kind of greatness Brock Purdy was able to summon, and they attached the clip from Chris Canty. To me, that game was more about the Detroit Lions collapse than any kind of greatness that Brock Purdy was able to summon, and it's not me hating, it's just a fact. That's the third largest collapse in conference championship game history, and the only two that were bigger were by 18 points, not 17 points. So, I mean, again, there's something to be said for the 49ers taking advantage of the opportunity with the Lions leaving the door open. They just kicked it in. I get it. And Brock Purdy was the head of the snake. I get it. But there are also a lot of plays in that ball game that make you scratch your head and think whether or not those are plays that Brock Purdy can consistently get away with, especially against championship caliber team. I'm sorry, rolling to your left, throwing back across your body, lollipops over the middle of the field, that's not going to work out. You can't keep routinely doing that and expect to be on the right side of it. And we'll see what happens when he's going up against the Kansas City Chiefs secondary in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. But, I I mean... I think that game was more about the Detroit Lions having an epic collapse than it was any kind of greatness that Brock Purdy was able to summon. Again, not taking any credit away from him because he made some great plays with his legs in that ball game. He also made some decent throws. Not going to say he didn't, but to me, it's more about the Lions and less about Brock Purdy and the 49ers. This next tweet here is from Jenna Trotman. Let's see what her deal is here. Ah, She's a sports anchor for WXYZ Detroit. And Jenna Trotman, she she she, she was uh, doing post-game locker room in Detroit the other day, or for Detroit the other day. Everyone can argue about Dan Campbell's decision-making, but this is how his players feel about him. Strongest words come from Frank Ragnow, quote, I didn't even realize how good of a coach there is out there until I met him. He just blew me away, and he continues to blow me away. So, and you know what I said yesterday? I... I have a hard time believing many Detroit Lion fans are angry at Dan Campbell right now. I think they're heartbroken, but I don't think they're angry. All right, this next tweet here is from, this is from, let's see, uh, Brad Golly. Brad Golly, let's see what his deal is. He's a sports director at WXYZ Detroit. And here he has the full Dan Campbell quote here is important before bits of it go viral. Quote, I told those guys this may have been our only shot. Do I think that? No. Do I believe that? No. However, 
I know how hard it is to get here. It'll be twice as hard to get back to this point. Yeah, like, he, you know, he's saying there that maybe the, the, the quote, the part of that will go out that is, that, you know, I told our guys that this may have been our only shot. He probably says that before the game, even if he said it after the game. Uh, that's a motivation type of thing. And, and yeah, it's important to get the full quote there, the full context of it, because he doesn't actually believe that. This next tweet is from Johnny Lazarus. He, he's a host uh, uh, analyst for NHL Network. He's on VEASAN, uh, BR Open Ice. All right, but he clearly is also a Detroit guy. He says here, I fucking love Dan Campbell, man. Live and die with this guy. He owned everything. He trusts his guys. Some days it goes your way. Other times it doesn't. But you always learn more from losing than you do winning. He'll be back. And as we continue on here, this next tweet is from ah Sam Morrill. Sam Morrill, he's a, he's a comedian. He, he's a very popular comedian. And he's actually here at the Improv, I think next month or so. Dan Campbell drawing an 18 in blackjack. Quote, hit me. Yeah, you, you know those jokes are coming. And finally, we'll wrap with this. This is from Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio tweets out, uh, this from Rob Parker. Rob, Rob Parker's kind of dopey. And he tweets out here, or Rob Parker says, quote, Dan Campbell, in the biggest moment on the biggest stage, choked down the game, failed the Lions, and failed the city. The performance that he put on was fireable, end quote. Yeah, like I said, uh, Rob Parker's been kind of, he's been kind of wacky for a long time. I can't take anything he says. Uh, seriously. You remember he was fired from ESPN many years ago because he called Robert Griffin a cornball brother. You can't take Robert Griffin serious. Give me a break. And that right there is another edition of Twitter Jam. Hey, you know, if there are any Detroit Lions fans listening right now, you know, I'm, I'm going to help you guys out a little bit. I'm going to help you sleep. I'm going to send you to Sheets and Giggles. That's right. SheetsGiggles.com. We've had Sheets and Giggles on board Zaslow Show 2.0 for about 9 or 10 months now. And I love it because not only am I getting the best sleep of my life, but I get to tell you guys how I'm getting the best sleep of my life. And that's because my man Colin, the founder and CEO of Sheets and Giggles, he sent me his product. I got the comforter. I got a eucalyptus pillow. That's right. Sheets and Giggles bed sheets are made from the wood of eucalyptus trees, but my man Colin is making sure we're doing it in an environmentally friendly way. Go to SheetsGiggles.com. You can get the comforter. I got the eucalyptus pillow. I got the bed sheets. I got the fitted sheets. I got the blanket, the pillowcases. If you're in need of a new mattress, they have eucalyptus mattresses. I mean, think about it. A koala sleeps on a eucalyptus tree up to 18 hours a day. Can you imagine how comfortable a eucalyptus mattress then must be? SheetsGiggles.com. They always have great sales and promotions going on. But if you're going to SheetsGiggles.com for the very first time, you can get 20% off your first order. And all you got to do is use my promo code, Zazlo. Go to SheetsGiggles.com, promo code Zazlo, 20% off your first order. SheetsGiggles.com, SheetsGiggles.com, promo code Zazlo. Let's get to big deal or not a big deal. Big deal or not a big deal. We'll start out with, how about last night? So, like, I wasn't mad about the Heat game. I was watching a little bit of Monday Night Raw. I only watched, like, the first hour or so, and then I did start actually paying more attention to the Heat, even though I ended up shutting it off, uh, like, I don't know, a few minutes left in the fourth quarter because fuck that shit. But last night, Monday Night Raw kicked off with Pat McAfee. He's back with WWE full-time officially the color analyst 
for Monday Night Raw. That's right, Michael Cole, Pat McAfee. That's a great broadcast duo. That's a big deal. Pat McAfee being back on a weekly basis. I like it. Big deal or not a big deal. Speaking of Pat McAfee, here was on the Pat McAfee show yesterday. And I've been talking about this recently where Pat McAfee, he's also sick of all the Taylor Swift hate. The most successful woman on earth right now? Yeah. Dating the greatest tight end of all time who's on the current dynasty? Why is everybody so mad about it? Why is everybody so mad about it? it. I'm annoying. sick of being I'm sick of people being mad about it. Yes. You know what I yeah, like? It's annoying. I, I, what are we even talking about? I love it. And if you see, I know that's one half of the hammer. God. Cowboys telling digs. You love that type of stuff. You're not ready to, not scared to stir it up a little bit in those particular parts of the world. But I don't fully understand. Now, at the beginning, I can see him. Sure. Oh, she's releasing a movie? Yeah. Oh, he's on 14 sure. commercials? Yep. Oh, we're getting worked right now? The NFL, a bunch of bums showcasing, shoving it down our throats. Right. I'm sick of seeing it. Every commercial, him. Every game, her. We're done. I could see that. I could very... But did you see them after the game yesterday? Yeah, yeah that was... that's what I was saying. I loved. Hey, I'm... they're an actual... Hey, they love oh, yeah. They they're love actual very love. Much. I'm so happy that the world got to see that and that I think... I don't want to say I told you so because in sports media, a lot of people say that and then they say a lot of things that are wrong and they just refuse <laughs> to chit chat about those. And we are certainly no different than everybody else. But from the very beginning, I thought to myself, these two might be perfect for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going big deal. I've been saying the same thing. And it's funny the way things are going where there was all this Taylor Swift hate. And I think it's now going to do a 180 where you're going to get more of that where this is not a big deal. Who cares? I- I'm-, I'm with McAfee on that. Big deal or not a big deal? All right, we'll stick with kind of a WWE angle here as well. So Roman Reigns, the undisputed WWE Universal Champion, the head of the table, the Tribal Chief. Well, you may remember right before the NFL season began, Roman Reigns was a guest on ESPN First Take. And you know Stephen A does his Stephen's A list? Well, Roman Reigns did his list, and it was top five Super Bowl contenders for this season. Number two was the Kansas City Chiefs. Number one was the San Francisco 49ers. The Tribal Chief was right on the money with who was going to make the Super Bowl. Stephen A. Smith and and Swagoo, uh, uh, Marcus Spears, they didn't agree with Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns put him in their place. He... Wanted to comment on your list first before I pick it. Go ahead, Swag. It's fluid now. Remember it's that. Fluid. It's fluid. First of all, man. Might be the list is might fluid. Be different first, first of all, Roman come up there with all, all chiseled with that hair, got a nice suit on, and he thinks Stephen A. He <laughs> can come in our lair and put a list together, and it don't get just tore to pieces. Number That's one, Rome, you bias, okay? So That's your number right. one pick goes yeah, out right. the window because you're biased. You're just being a fan of the San Francisco 49ers. We don't even know if Brock Purdy really that good. He even only played seven games in the NFL, and you want to talk about them being Super Bowl contenders. Why in the hell would you ever put the Kansas City Chiefs two at anything? After you, Have you watched the NFL the last two or three years? They ain't two at nothing. Outside of losing in the Super Bowl, that's the only time they lose, Rome. Only time they lose is when they get to the Super Bowl. That's it. The other thing is this, man. Where in the hell is my Dallas Cowboys at on this list? I don't understand. No one has your Cowboys. You have them I thought about list. it, but I, I mean, everybody was like, the yeah. what are you thinking? The, what are you talking it's about, Marcus? The the I'm going big deal. I mean, the tribal chief, he was right on the money there. How about that? And finally, big deal or not a big deal. 
Here's Brian Scalabrine. You guys know it's one of my favorite shows every morning. Sirius XM NBA Radio starting lineup. Frank Isola, Brian Scalabrine. Here's Brian Scalabrine from this morning on Joel Embiid. Yeah, he, he keeps ducking Nikola Jokic. But Embiid could win a championship this year and then debate could spark up. But until he like gets over that hump, you you can't you you can't give him the nod over him, and I'm just saying to the media, don't go down with the ship. Just like watch, like look at the look at the past, look at the accomplishments, and then say to yourself, like, all right, like I get it. He had the one game in Philly, and by the way, he dominated Jokic last year in Philly too. I think he had 50 he on did. him last year. Yep. So we had the one, we had these two games in Philly. Why are we holding on to those? As like the end all be all, but then when a guy ducks him, we don't we don't talk about that. And why why is it like when um, if Tyrese Maxey would have played, would Embiid would have played? Like we don't know the full s- scope of this. Maybe Embiid looked at it like, wait a minute here, I don't have this guy and this guy. Maybe I should sit out this game. You know, like what's the point of playing? In this yeah, game? I'm 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 going big deal. He's spot on. I mean. You got all these guys. You heard me talk about it with Israel. That's now the big story again. Missing time because we're approaching that threshold with guys like Embiid. Embiid's Embiid's having an MVP caliber season. There is no way he's going to qualify. He's going to miss a few more games and he's not going to be eligible. And it's because of bullshit like this where he's a thousand percent ducking Nikola Jokic. And then he's egging on the crowd at the game over the weekend where, I mean, that's real cute. People pay a lot of money to go to these games, and then right before the game starts, you are questionable, you walk out in street clothes, and you think it's funny. I mean, fuck that. It's it's so screwed up. It's a big deal. And that right there is another edition of Big Deal or Not a Big Deal. Yes. All right. Thanks, everybody, who hung out and listened today to today's show. Brought to you in part by Bet Online. Thanks, everybody, who helped put the show together. I can't do it without all our hard work. We'll talk to you on Zaslow Show 2.0 tomorrow. Know what that means. Ah, the show is over. What better time now than to go out back with a six-pack of Johnny Cuba. That's right. That's what I look forward to after every show. And now my day's work is done. I got a six-pack of Johnny Cuba. We're talking European roots with a Caribbean soul. I'm going to sit outside by the pool here at the Zaslow Mansion and just enjoy the rest of my day. Having a Johnny Cuba makes me feel like I'm right back in the Caribbean. We're talking a refreshing German lager in a can. You can get it anywhere. Sedanos, Presidente, Winn-Dixie. And right now, you got special holiday prices on six packs of Johnny Cuba. Make sure you pick up your Johnny Cuba merch as well. We got the hot sauce coming up. Johnny Cuba, stay tranquilo because more is always brewing.